Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. Military operations in Gaza launched by the IDF are neither a new or unusual occurrence, but we know from experience that when the Israeli government gives them an official name, they're serious. In the very early morning hours of Tuesday, Israel assassinated three senior members of Islamic Jihad in airstrikes on the Gaza Strip as part of what they have called Operation Shield and Arrow. Immediately, southern and even central Israel is braced for what it knows will be some form of retaliation in the coming days or even hours. To explain and discuss the implications of this new security crisis, we turned, as usual, to Haaretz National Security Analyst Amos Harel. This time, however, we caught Amos in the middle of a trip abroad. He's changing planes at the airport in Amman, Jordan, and that explains the background noise during this interview. Amos Harel, thanks for coming on Haaretz Weekly. Thank you for inviting me. So we have a name, Operation Shield and Arrow. When they give these operations a name, it's usually a good sign that it's not going to be over anytime soon. Can you lay out the situation for us, Amos? What were the parameters of this attack and who exactly were the Islamic Jihad leaders that were assassinated? And now Haaretz is reporting that they were assassinated on their way to ceasefire talks in Cairo? Uh, first of all, I think it's a sign that they're scrapping the bottom of the barrel uh, whenever we're considering names, because uh, we've had so many of these operations. This doesn't seem to be uh, a remarkable name. It may take a few days, maybe even more, but it mostly depends on Hamas's reaction, which we'll probably get to uh, later. Um, the assassination itself... I think is mostly a result of Israeli domestic considerations. Uh, if you remember uh, last week, uh, after the death of jailed Islamic Jihad terrorists in an Israeli jail after a, a long hunger strike, Islamic Jihad reacted by launching more than 100 rockets and mortar bombs towards uh, Israeli towns and villages around the Gaza Strip. And Netanyahu hesitated, and he received a lot of criticism from both the opposition, the protest movement, and from within his government, uh, mainly by uh, Itamar's uh, Benkvir's party. So I don't think he had much choice but to react for political reasons more than anything else. We'll hear a lot of talk about uh, Israeli deterrence and the balance of power between Israel and Hamas and Islamic Jihad. But in the end, after what had happened and after the criticism he received, he needed to react. And this is uh, uh, what he decided um, to do. I think it happened a few days earlier, although they were waiting for the right uh, operational conditions to actually act. Now, regarding the, the possible ceasefire, it's an ongoing issue. The Egyptians knew that something was uh, cooking, that Israel was about uh, to do something to Islamic Jihad in Gaza, and I assume they invited some of those uh, leaders of Islamic Jihad who are both uh, involved in political negotiations and in military action to Cairo. Uh, but I don't think that the Israeli strike was meant to prevent a ceasefire. This isn't what this is about. As I said, it's mostly about Israel's um, relationship with Hamas on the one hand and the domestic considerations on the other. 
it wasn't just words. It wasn't just threats coming from the right of Netanyahu. The uh, far-right Otsma Yudit party started boycotting Knesset votes, essentially paralyzing the coalition. They weren't going to be able to get anything done, and they said they would do so until the government showed that it was truly fully right-wing. And now that the operation started, they announced the boycott is over following the acceptance of our position and the transition from containment to attack and the targeted killings of senior Islamic Jihad figures. So is what you're suggesting that it was some form of political blackmail that Netanyahu needed to do this or else and that it wasn't based purely on defense and security considerations? It's never based purely on defense and security. Think back on all Israeli governments in the last few decades. Did Olmert in 2006, the last ditch attempt of changing the course of the uh, war in Lebanon, was it uh, for purely uh, defense considerations or, or did it have to do with political uh, reasons as well? So it's always a combination of domestic issues and the foreign relation or strategic aspects as well. Having said that, I'm not sure that Bengvir's influence was that uh, massive. It's true that Bengvir is problematic for Netanyahu. Netanyahu knew that this was a strange bedfellow the minute he accepted him into his coalition, apparently he didn't have any other choice. And it's true that Benville tried to blackmail Netanyahu, but I think part of this is um, is a play, is an act. Benville needs to show his voters, or what's remained of his voters, uh, that he's serious on his uh, uh, demands for more uh, security and more Israeli military initiative on the one hand. And Netanyahu had his own reasons, as we mentioned, but it's not as if Benkvir is the one calling the shots. I think this was done by Netanyahu for Netanyahu's reasons, and those are wider than the Benkvir problem, which is a, a significant issue for Netanyahu, but not the, the biggest deal. There are all, all kinds of problems. Part of it had to do with the reaction of the voters. Look at the recent public opinion polls, where uh, uh, many liquid voters uh, tend to um, uh, show uh, their lack of trust for the government and criticize it for its inaction for, on many issues apart from the judicial overhaul. We're in a situation today where schools are closed in the South. People are being told to stay close to shelters. Shelters are being opened in the center of the country as well. I guess local leaders want to show that they're ready for worst-case scenarios. Arrangements are being made to move people away from the Gaza border. All of the signs are pointing to expectations of a massive retaliation. What do we expect will happen and how much of this rides on whether or not this is just a case of a retaliation from Islamic Jihad and how much Hamas, which controls uh, Gaza, becomes a party in the conflict or gives Islamic Jihad sort of free reign to retaliate as, uh, as strongly as they wish? Okay, this is the part where I should mention that we're recording this conversation at about 12.45 at noon, uh, so things could change later on. But from what we know right now and from what I gather talking to Israeli security sources, it's quite clear uh, that they are expecting uh, Hamas retaliation. Islamic Jihad would react either way. But since there were uh, massive casualties on the Palestinian side, since this is seen as from the Palestinian view perspective as an Israeli provocation, since uh, quite a few major figures in Islamic Jihad have died in this series of assassinations, and uh, along with women and children too, I think that there will be a reaction from the Palestinian side, and it may include Hamas. It may not be in Hamas's best interest to fight Israel all the way and to lead to a full-scale escalation, which could take uh, 
even weeks. I think that Hamas's interests uh, lay elsewhere. Hamas right now is doing rather well, mostly because Israel is maintaining its uh, ceasefire with Hamas for quite some time, and because there are 17,000 Palestinian workers entering Israel from Gaza on a daily basis and bringing a lot of money back home to Gaza. So for Hamas, it's convenient to get back to the original reality or situation, but they need to show that they care uh, right now. And I would assume that there will be some kind of reaction from both Islamic Jihad and even Hamas, and it may even uh, include uh, launching rockets towards Tel Aviv. Now, if this happens, if the center of the country is hit, unfortunately, we know from the past that there is a sort of a double standard. Most Israeli governments, they talk quite a lot about defending the South, but in the end, they care more if the center is hit and they tend to react more aggressively if this happens. And I think that this could be the case. We may be sometime between the afternoon and night, we may see a Palestinian response, which could get quite aggressive and could include Tel Aviv. And then there will be an Israeli reaction. Much of this depends on the number of casualties. If, uh, unfortunately, if there are deaths and injuries on our side, the reaction would probably be more aggressive. And then we may be facing a longer escalation. It's not the end of the world. It's not necessarily a new war in Gaza, but it could be a more significant military operation. And we should include or we should mention the other frontiers as well. The Israeli intelligence community for quite some time has mentioned the possibility of a convergence of fronts, uh, things happening at the same time in Gaza, Lebanon, and the West Bank, for instance. We saw that at the beginning of Ramadan, in the uh, beginning of April, when the uh, Israeli police stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The response was uh, rockets being fired from both uh, southern Lebanon from uh, Gaza and from even from the southern Syria, on the Syrian side of the, the Golan Heights uh, border. So this could happen again, and I think that uh, we're at a dangerous crossroads. We'll see where this is leading, but I would assume that at least we're facing uh, quite a few days of escalation. Well, sitting here in Tel Aviv, that's reassuring to hear. Uh, <laughs> um, the IDF uh, spokespeople are briefing journalists um, saying that Israel waited for the right moment to strike against uh, these Islamic Jihad leaders uh, so that they didn't harm innocent people. But there still seems to be quite a civilian toll. We have the funerals going on even as we're recording now. Does this look like some sort of miscalculation? Was it more deadly than thought? Or is this you know, just what happens when you target people? It's what happens when you target people in Gaza. It's true of all kinds of uh, urban warfare, but it's especially true in Gaza and, and in southern Lebanon. Um, those um, Palestinian or Lebanese organizations act from within very uh, densely populated uh, areas. Um, leaders of those uh, organizations usually uh, sleep at their homes if they don't think that the IDF is about to, to, to strike at them and to try to assassinate them. Some of them perhaps assume that their uh, families would act as a sort of a humanitarian shield, if you'd like. Israel decided to act. I'm, I assume that the calculations were made in advance. They may have been uh, wrong on some of this, uh, maybe perhaps assuming that somebody was in the specific apartment without the family and so on. We know that neighboring families um, have uh, suffered as well. Um, this is part of, of the reality of warfare in 2023 in the region uh, will happen quite a lot. In many times I've seen the IDF, especially in those targeted killings, attempting to prevent more carnage, attempting to prevent 
massive deaths of civilians. It hasn't been too successful right now. Uh, the tendency in the Israeli domestic uh, discussion is to ignore that altogether, to only talk of our casualties. But in the end, we have to remember the sentiments on the other side. Uh, the anger is, is there uh, right now. Those terrible pictures of uh, bodies of uh, women and children, those videos and so on. And this would uh, serve to ignite more violence and more um, uh, feelings right now against Israel. And I think this would uh, drive the Palestinian reaction as well. A lot is being made of the fact that Prime Minister Netanyahu did not convene his security cabinet to discuss this operation, that he has no plans to do so in the future. Is this a big deal? It is, but it's also uh, part of the, the current political reality that we've mentioned. Once you have Bengville, and, and to some extent Smotrich and some of the other ministers, as uh, members of the security cabinet, this is very different than the reality in the past. Look at Netanyahu's government uh, 10, 12 years ago, with people like Meridor, uh, Begin, and Yelon, and Eud Barak as members of the uh, internal security cabinet. This is not the case when you have uh, somebody like uh, Bengtsu, who's a professional troll. He doesn't have any serious considerations. He doesn't have any uh, important uh, opinions or suggestions about these issues. And I think Netanyahu leaked this matter on purpose to show that he wasn't really, uh, that he doesn't really care about Benjamin and he isn't thinking highly of him. This is the reason why we're told that Benjamin didn't even know about the assassinations. Uh, but other than that, it shows you where Netanyahu is right now. He's fighting for his, uh, um, fighting to death, if you'd like, uh, for his uh, future, trying to avoid jail time, trying to survive politically. And under these circumstances, he, you know, he needs those allies. But it doesn't mean that he would um, uh, actually ask their advice before he decides uh, to act. Those in the know were actually people like the Defense Minister Gallant, in spite of Netanyahu uh, firing him and then uh, canceling the uh, decision uh, just a month ago. And, of course, uh, the, the top uh, brass of the IDF and Shin Bet and so on were involved. But he didn't... Uh, convene the cabinet. And I think that as long as he can avoid um, sharing information with the current cabinet, this is what he's going to do. Already this operation has been condemned by Egypt, by Jordan. We see a lot of condemnations, I'm sure, coming in from other countries soon. The spokesman for Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas said after condemning the dangerous escalation that drags the region into violence, etc., said that we warn the U.S. administration to not allow Israel to persist in its ongoing crimes against the Palestinian people. How aggressively do you expect the Biden administration to step into this, especially given that at the moment relations between Jerusalem and Washington are already not in a great place? To begin with, I think the Palestinian authorities' reaction is mostly lip service. Palestinians have died in, uh, in Gaza as a result of Israeli action. Abbas needs to say these things. And if you go and look back at his statements uh, during the last 20 years or so on five, six uh, different Israeli operations, you'll find similar statements. I don't think it does mean a lot uh, under the current circumstances. Regarding Biden, well, the administration is no fan of Netanyahu. We know that, uh, especially considering Netanyahu's plan for the judicial overhaul and their refusal to invite the prime minister to visit uh, the White House, which was uh, quite humiliating for Netanyahu. Other than that, there will be probably mild criticism if Israel um, uh, continues to react very aggressively. If this thing uh, escalates and then drags along for a long time, we may see similar reactions from Washington uh, the, to what we heard during the 
uh, operation in 2014, which took uh, 50 or 51 days, if I'm not mistaken. If we get on the administration's nerves, we will hear from them. But if it's the next few days, and if uh, there are rockets launched at Tel Aviv, what we'll hear is mostly an American call for both sides to lay down their weapons and an American understanding uh, towards Israel's need to protect its citizens and so on. A call, but will they proactively or aggressively step in and try to end this? Uh, they will be involved, along with the Egyptians and the Qataris and the United Nations and the usual suspects. Uh, I, I'm sure there are attempts already to reach a ceasefire. I think it's probably too early for that. Unfortunately, we'll uh, see some uh, Palestinian aggressive reaction before this can settle down. And the Americans will be involved. I'm not sure that they will be leading the efforts because, as we've seen in recent operations, it was mostly the Egyptians and sometimes the Qataris who uh, actually brought results unless the Americans, but this has to do with a larger picture, with the gradual uh, American disengagement from the region and the fact that we're less and less involved and invested here uh, when you compare that to the past. Amos, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and safe travels. Thank you, Alison. And that wraps things up for Haaretz Weekly. Thanks to our producer and editor, Nara Malkin. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer, and until next week, shalom from Tel Aviv. <laughs>